in light of what's going on with the pandemic, I think respiratory symptoms that are getting worse. So sometimes by the time we've gotten a call, a child is wheezing and breathing fast and really kind of in a little bit of distress. This is Mom Squad Pod, your weekly update on tips, tricks, and all things parenting with Maureen Kyle. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Mom Squad Pod podcast, where we talk all things parenting. And this one, I think, is going to speak to all parents. It's just ask the pediatrician. Any questions? I, I asked my mom squad friends, you know, what questions do you always have for the pediatrician? Maybe you don't ask and you kick yourself later. And I have Dr. Gina Robinson with us today. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, my pleasure. Good morning. Good morning. And so I think a big one, this is going to be a big one as we go throughout the fall and heading into the school year. This is probably one of the biggest questions you're probably going to be asked as of right now. Ohio doesn't have a mask mandate in place for schools. They're considering it. Some school districts, it's just kind of up to them. So as a parent, I'm sitting here thinking, do I put my kid in a mask knowing that, I mean, especially mine are under the age of 12. Do I send them in the mask or do I not send them in the mask? What would you recommend for parents who it's their choice? I would absolutely recommend sending your children a mask, even, um, the older kids who may have been vaccinated, we're finding that there is some chance of spreading uh, coronavirus, even if you've been vaccinated. So having the vaccine, you're protecting yourself, but we wanna make sure that we're remembering we're also trying to protect everyone else. And really the best way to do that is those different layers of protection. So the vaccine is one layer, masking is another layer, social distancing is another layer. I've heard it called the Swiss cheese model, So if you have one slice of Swiss cheese, there's a lot of holes that something can get through. But once you stack a few slices on top of each other, there's less chance for something to get through. So we want to remember that Swiss cheese model that it's not just the one thing, it's all of those things together that help protect us. That's a great way to think about it. And so what do you think about, um, I'm going to throw this one at you though, with sports, because a lot of kids um, might have to take that mask off during sports playing sports, what kind of precautions do we need to take? Are kids safe? Where would they be at higher risk? I think because when you're playing sports, even at those times when you're in close contact, those contacts are relatively brief, that that's a little less risky. Um, You're outside for a lot of sports, so that actually lowers the risk too. Anytime you're on the sidelines or you're going to be with teammates for prolonged periods, I would recommend remembering all of the masking, distancing guidelines, and following those. And like I said, we're going to move on to the next topic here because my um, good friend and coworker, Danielle, she's also a parent. And her question was, um, which screenings should be done at school? Which ones should be done at the pediatrician's office? Now, when you talk about screenings, which ones are you talking about specifically? For illness or for? Let's start with like, well, for me personally too, we had a vision screening done at the doctor. I know that they do those at schools. Last year, they, they shied away from them because of the pandemic. They didn't bring too many people into the schools. Mm-hmm. Do I have the vision test and, and those type of screenings? Do I, who do I trust there? I mean, do I trust the ones at school? Do I go further than even just the pediatrician's office? What should I do with my child? I recommend doing the um, screenings in the pediatrician's office. And we actually have a schedule that we follow and we actually wanna do those screenings at certain times. 
at certain ages. And then when they do them in school, sometimes they will catch the kids when we're in between those ages where we recommend doing them in the office. By the time you get to middle school, it's a good idea to have a formal eye exam. And I, when I say formal eye exam, I don't necessarily mean the one at the mall or the, um, the optician. I mean, actually going to an ophthalmologist and having a full eye exam and making sure that we're taking care of our eye health. Mm -hmm. And her, Danielle was bringing this up specifically because she has a child with some uh, learning disabilities. And so a question that she also had was, what do you do when you suspect your child maybe has a learning disability, maybe the teacher has said something to you and said, mm, you might wanna get this checked out or maybe you're suspecting an ADHD problem. Um, where should a parent turn at that point? The first step I would think would be talking to the teacher a little bit more and getting more details about what specifically they're seeing in the classroom. Then finding out what resources are available at the school there should be a school psychologist and a system in place for observations and initial testings, at least for learning disabilities. And then you can also request a more in-depth testing for learning disabilities through the school. Um, ADHD, you can get some information from schools. They don't make a diagnosis in the classroom or at the school. So that, that is a time where I think you should talk to your pediatrician about the concerns that the teacher has, the concerns that you have, and that can be the starting point. And sometimes that's it. I do diagnose ADHD in my office, not um, quickly. It takes time and we want to go through all the right steps. But then the next layer would be actually seeing a psychologist if we're not sure about the diagnosis or if we need some more help managing it. Um, once we do get a diagnosis, we actually want to come up with a plan. So when you get that more involved screening at school, you're going to get a plan and recommendations if you have a psychologist involved, they'll also give you some detailed recommendations too. We wanna to make sure we individualize everything for each child. And also remember that the things that you see at home may be a little bit different than what the teachers are seeing in the classroom. So always be open to those observations and uh, remember that the ultimate goal is to make sure that your child is in the best possible situation and has been um, really set up for success in the classroom. Our next question is from our um, executive producer, Jenny. And I, I like the way she phrased it. To me, she said, ask her, what is it that parents do that drive her crazy? And I don't want to put you in that position because <laughs> I don't want to imply that parents drive you crazy. But mm -hmm. her point was um, sometimes she calls for something so minor and then she's thinking, gosh, the doctor must think that I'm you know, nuts for, <laughs> for calling for, and it's just a cold. Is there a symptom? So here's how I'm going to phrase it to you. Is there a symptom or something that parents are always calling about that you think that we overreact to? I mean, especially when we have little ones and maybe we're new parents. I think fever is the one symptom that just absolutely sends people right to the, you know, right to the ledge. And yeah. we have to remember that a fever is actual, actually part of your body's response to fighting the infection. So fever in itself is not bad we have to think about what's causing the fever, right? So if you have a virus or if you have a bacterial infection in the beginning, your body is giving you a signal that something's going on. Our response shouldn't be immediately, we have to stop this fever. Our response should be, what does my child look like? Because you can have a low grade temp and sometimes even a little bit higher and have especially a toddler who's running around acting fine, but feels hot. You know, you touch their forehead and they're burning up. So if you have a child who's running around and acting fine, 
the first response doesn't have to be give this child medication, bring this fever down. It should be, okay, let's make sure this child is comfortable, make sure he or she's getting plenty of fluids and observe and see what other symptoms are going on with that fever, right? And then call the doctor. I think the thing that drives me crazy would be that when parents don't call because they're worried about what I'm going to think. I tell my parents all the time, I would rather you call and we know that the child's okay than you're sitting at home thinking, oh, I just called Dr. Robinson yesterday. I don't want to bother her. It's I'm here. It's my job. <laughs> call me. Call the office. Make sure your child's okay. That's comforting to hear because I know I've made a couple of calls where I'm like, did I overreact? So I, on the flip side, is there a symptom that you think parents underreact to that you wish that they would call sooner or maybe take a little bit more seriously? In light of what's going on with the pandemic, I think respiratory symptoms that are getting worse. So sometimes by the time we've gotten a call, a child is wheezing and breathing fast and really kind of in a little bit of distress. So I think if you feel like the cough is getting worse or the breathing's getting worse, call then. Don't wait. Don't try to wait it out. Um, don't wait till morning. We have after hours nurses. There's always a doctor on call. There's always someone who can talk you through things. So two o'clock in the morning, you can call and talk to someone. You don't have to feel like, oh, I'll just wait till the office opens in the morning. That's great to know. Our next question. If my child is at the top of the growth chart or at the bottom of the growth chart, do I need to be concerned? I, I mean, I, I think I'm speaking to the parents who, um, you know, gosh, my child is in the 99th percentile. Am I doing, you know, am I doing something wrong? Or my child is in the, the teens in percentile, you know, it is, am I not feeding them enough? Am I not, you know, am I ignoring something with their development? Do parents need to be concerned? I get this question a lot. I think a lot of parents think it's a competition that, you know, I have to be at the 99th or 100th percentile. And what I tell parents is I'm not necessarily looking at the individual number, I'm looking at the trend. So if I have a child who's at the 99th percentile and that's where they live and that's where they grow and thrive, that's fine for that child. Same thing if I have a child who's at the fifth percentile and that's where they grow and thrive, then that's where they're supposed to be. I worry about children who are falling off of their growth curve. So if you're at the top of the curve and you start to trend down, that's a concern. Um, if your weight and your height are proportionate and then all of a sudden the weight starts to jump up percentiles, that's concerning. But most of the time when you look at the growth curve and then you look at the parents, you can reassure them that, you know, this is really an expression of genetic potential and your child is growing along the curve the way he or she is genetically programmed to grow and based on the way his or her parents are genetically programmed, right? Right. Well, we're getting into also uh, flu season mm -hmm. and, um, you know, those flu shots might be lining up for kids. And then of course we have, you know, the possible COVID vaccination for kids. And so this next question comes from one of our mom squad members. How do I get my child over the fear of needles? And I, I have one that is terrified and I have one who doesn't care if she gets struck by five needles. So how do you, how do you help the child who's maybe a little bit timid about this? That is a harder one. Sometimes I will talk to a child who hasn't gotten a shot since they were going to kindergarten and they're worried about getting a shot. And I say, well, do you remember the last time you got a shot? And they say, no. And I say, well, obviously it couldn't have been that bad because if it was terrible, you'd probably remember. Um, just kind of 
we try to do a lot of comfort positioning. So having the child sit on the parent's lap to be a comfort while the shot's going on. There are a lot of different things you can do in that moment. And um, you have to recognize whether your child is someone who gets too anxious if you tell them beforehand, or if your child is somebody who's gonna flip out in the office, if you tell them right then and try to walk that line between, you know, when should I tell the child? We always wanna be honest. So I never wanna tell a child he or she isn't getting a shot when they are. And then also uh, reinforcing the reasons that we do them, even though um, when that fear kicks in, I think sometimes we're worried that there's nothing we can say. A lot of times we explain to children, the reasons we do this is because we're trying to help keep you healthy and keep everyone else healthy. It helps a little bit. It doesn't take away the sting completely, but it helps a little bit. And then, you know, I'm a parent myself. I'm not above a little, I, don't, I hate to say bribe, <laughs> but I'm not above giving a little reward, a little trip to the target was always our go-to after we had to come get shots. And that always seemed to make everything better by the time we got through the dollar aisle. Right. <laughs> I've used ice cream before too, because there's an ice cream shop right up the, the way from our PD. PD that one, start, yeah. Coffee drinks are also another, another good one. So uh, yeah. there's plenty of ways to smooth it over afterwards too. Right. <laughs> So my next question comes from my fellow um, parent and, and mom friend, Holly, who asks, she has older kids, so her kids are teenagers. And her question was, when does she stop going into the well visits with her child? What is there a certain age that you think is good for um, kids to start handling the well visit or that doctor's visit on their own? I think 12 or 13 is a perfect time to really give the child at least a little bit of autonomy. What I will often do is start the visit with the parent in the room, kind of catch up, ask if there are any concerns that the parent has, and then say, okay, she's getting older now. Why don't we have you step out? Some parents feel more comfortable standing in the hallway, which is fine. Some parents go right out to the waiting room and sit down. And then what I always like to do is wrap things up by talking to the parent again, and just reinforcing that we're not keeping anything from parents when we're in the room with the child, we're trying to just help them develop that autonomy and giving them some privacy because they are becoming young adults. Our job is to help you guys kind of give them that guidance and the information that's going to help them be healthy physically, emotionally, mentally, make good decisions when they're faced with um, those decisions that come up as you get older into different social situations. So we're really all on the same team. Our goal is the same. We want your children to be healthy, you know, in every aspect. Here's one kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum for all of my expectant mothers out there. I remember hearing, well, you should go interview a pediatrician and go find one that you feel comfortable with. And then when I was there, I didn't know what questions to ask. So what questions should new parents be asking or expectant mothers be asking when they're looking for a pediatrician? What do you think is important? I think it's important to know your pediatrician's philosophy on um, treating illnesses. Um, antibiotics are a big question, whether or not you can have um, antibiotics called in and things like that. We don't want to do that. We want to always treat appropriately. Um, I think knowing the rationale for that is important. I think you wanna know what your pediatrician's views on vaccines are um, before you get started and making sure that we're on the same page as far as following the vaccine schedule. Um, just general philosophies on um, 
how to discipline would be an interesting question. Sleep issues. I think talking about breastfeeding and how, what you do when you need support with breastfeeding, if there is a problem. But a lot of times that interview is just a chance for you to talk to someone and get a feeling for them because um, we're, you know, in Cleveland, we're lucky. We have an embarrassment of riches as far as great pediatricians. And a lot of it's going to come down to, do I have a, a connection with this person? Do I feel like I can talk to them? Do I feel comfortable with them? And a lot of the interview is really about that. Mm -hmm. That is such great insight. Dr. Gina Robinson with the Cleveland Clinic, thank you so much for taking the time and letting us throw all sorts of questions at you. I'm sure we'll get a ton more and we'll have to call you up again. Okay, I'll be here. <laughs> all right, thank and thank you. you to all of you listening to the Mom Squad Pod podcast. It's where we answer all of your parenting questions and we'll see you right back here next time. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Mom Squad Pod with Maureen Kyle from WKYC Studios. Subscribe now so you never miss an update. And find more on everything you heard here on WKYC.com and on the WKYC app.